My name is Michael Smith. Our scripture reading for today is found in James chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, welcome to our 10 o'clock service. Some of you may have come for the earlier one. I've been so blessed by having our uh, children really leading us in, in worship. And even though I know many of the parents are having to go, my real heroes today are the parents because these children were in the 8 o'clock service too. So, you know, they had to pull their kids out of bed and get them here. And I'm, I'm proud of all of you. I'm proud of all of you. Well, today I want to think about um, unfinished business. Unfinished work. Um, I I thought of several illustrations of this just to get us into it. Uh, One, because I was in education for so long. Teachers, you know, sometimes we require work of our students. And I had a picture here. Sometimes there seems to be more unfinished work than there is finished work. (laughs) And our our work is to try to help our students to actually to finish. Uh, We have a lot of people who like building as well. So, you know, sometimes when you're in construction... Uh, you just wonder if you're ever going to get it completed. Chris and I are right now in the process of having a lot of our house uh, renovated. There's just dust everywhere, and uh, I, I keep having to think. Uh, the way it's going to be is a lot better th- than the way it has been. So you, you hold on to that, don't you? Uh, but you can't wait till that work is finished. Um, the, the last one, which is sort of a drawing of a billboard, I, I thought was really interesting. Uh, I have a dream... When you think of uh, Martin Luther King's dream of the kind of world where the walls separating people from people are down and it's not completed yet, uh, unfinished work. Now, today I I want us to think about um, God's uh, piece of unfinished work. Yeah, who is that? Do you have a mirror? You can take take a a look at it. when Denny Balesi was here, you know, between Pastor Gordon and me, Denny Balesi was here for two years. And so often, because I've listened to his tapes, so often he would get up here and say, Lake Avenue Church, you people are a piece of work. Any of you remember that? Well, he was right. Um, anyway, he was, right. we are. We are. We're God's piece of work. The, the beautiful thing about God saying there's something I want to do in each of your lives that's not finished is that when God says I'm going to finish something he's going to finish it I wasn't always sure my students were going to finish it God's going to finish it what he has started in you and me he is going to bring to completion and that that really is what this season of Lent is all about 
I know people in churches like ours haven't always celebrated Lent, but Christians all over the world and throughout history have. And what really happens at this time of year is this, that we look at that, those parts of our lives that are not yet what God would have them to be. And here, just six weeks before we think about Good Friday and the cross and then the resurrection, we want God to do a special work in our lives, opening up, showing us parts of our lives that are not yet finished that, and bringing Him back into our lives. Now you might say, but that's what Christians always do. I mean, every time you go to church, don't we see things that aren't all that they should be? But I think for these six weeks, the powerful part of this is that we look at it in the light of the cross upon which Jesus died because we know that that celebration of Good Friday when Jesus died and then of, of, of Easter was that when Jesus died for our sins it wasn't just to cleanse our past. He, he didn't die for our sins to leave us unfinished but to complete the work in us. And, and we pray that during these six weeks that God would open our eyes to one part of our lives after another that is yet unfinished work. Uh, now this year, 2014, we're going to let Pastor James of the First Church of Jerusalem be our teacher and our guide. And I, you'll see that even though we've been going through James all year, that this section of James we come to is a perfect section to guide us through this. Because what Pastor James does is essentially he takes one part of our lives after another. So each of the next weeks we're going to do that. Our speech, the way we talk. He's going to make us look at our inner hearts our inner beings. Uh, he is going to have us look at our, our personal relationships and at our actions and to have a time of asking God to come in and cleanse what is wrong and to begin to do a whole new work of remaking us. His uh, unfinished work will be more complete, we pray, uh, when we come to Easter this year and we'll truly say hallelujah. Now, you know this, that when James, I mean, visitors, you may not know this, but the rest of us do. When James takes up a topic, he does it straight on, doesn't he? He does it straight on. And he does it in a very, very practical way. And today as we look at that, we're going to see him talking about really us as a church. Because what he says is this, that God's work in your life and in mine, uh, it's going to be completed. The place where he's going to do his completing work is going to be in a community of people. A um, God-glorifying, Christ-centered, Bible-teaching community of people committed to God and committed to one another. Because we weren't meant to do this alone. I mean, th there may be some Christians who have to walk alone because there are no other Christians anywhere. But he gives us one another. And he tells us, you've got to be the kind of family where you pray for one another and, and hold one another accountable and never give up on one another until you become all that I would have you to be. He gives us one another. That's why new members, this membership is such an important part of this Sunday's uh, gathering. But what he's going to say in, in the text today that Michael read for us, James 2, 8 through 13, is that the kind of church in which God does his work in our lives has to be a very specific kind of church. What is it? It's a church that must blend both justice and mercy. And I'm just telling you, this is not easy for us as human beings. I'm going to have to explain to you what I mean by justice and mercy, but I'm going to tell you it's not easy. There are churches that have really been strong on the justice side. 
On, on that side, it means that everything is right. And so we have uh, focused on everything that is wrong out there in the world or in people's lives. And legalism sets in and hopelessness sets in. And it almost becomes works-oriented. I've got to work harder to get rid of all that wrong. On the other side, I think it's a bigger problem in our day that the mercy side is, is emphasized. Well, you can't always do it. You know, you're a victim of circumstances. So God will accept. Just keep going as you are. Just show up at church. I'm telling you, neither one of those alone is what God would have us to be. We have to be a place where justice and mercy live together. Now, you see that I'm, do you see I'm not standing in the place I'm usually standing? Well, kind of this place, but you see, this, I'm standing behind the communion table. Do you have any idea why? I'll tell you this, because this communion t- table points us to what Jesus told us to remember, to his cross, to his cross. And in history, the place where we see justice, God's justice, that sin is going to be dealt with, must be paid for, and his mercy, that those of us who have sinned can be made right with God, his justice and his mercy meet. So we're going to remember that at the end, and we're going to pray that God would help us to become the kind of community where those two things come together. So here we go. First of all, the kind of place where God's going to change your life what kind of church fellowship you've got to be a part of, must be committed to being a community of justice, which means a people who are serious about pleasing God. And by that, I mean, when we see what His Word commands of us, we are serious about obeying God. Now look at the way James puts it. He puts it much stronger than I did. Verses 12 and 13. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law he says, the law that gives freedom. That when God gives us commands, it doesn't ruin our lives. It sets us free. He says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. I'm looking to see how many, a few of you are still with me here. Do you know that these may not be the most popular verses in the Bible? Do you know I've never heard a, a scripture chorus written from these two verses? And in case you have it, you've missed it. Can I just break it down for you? One, two, three. What, what, is, what is God's word saying? Number one, it's saying that there are ways that God, who's created us, has created us to live. We're made in his image. He, there's a way that he created us to live, and therefore he commands us to live that way. That's what it tells us. Number two, that when we don't live the way God created to us to live when we don't keep his commands we sin and number three that all sin will be judged when I put it just that flat out there do you see why these this is perhaps not the the favorite passage of people in Southern California do you realize I think these verses and it's called are it's ignored by, by most churches we're afraid we'll run people off uh, and, maybe, and maybe it will do that sometimes. So, but if it's not popular in our own culture, I'm telling you, it wasn't all that popular in James's world either. So I'll, I'll walk you through it. Uh, for those of you who have been here before, you, sometimes you think, what is the flow of what James is talking about here? James chapter 1, he, he said, no, what you've got to do, you've got to be a people, a community, where you are committed to staying away from worldliness, but also committed to engaging with the people of the world 
And by that, you've got to be willing to walk with and to help and to care for people who are in distress, especially orphans and widows. You've just got to be that if you're going to reflect the heart of God, that Jesus is the one who, who showed that. He's the glory that showed us that. And one of the surest ways, he said, as you get to chapter 2, so one of the surest ways you're going to know that you are reflecting the glory of God is by the way you treat people who walk into your own church. You can't discriminate on the basis of external appearance. You can't show favoritism to those who are successful and powerful and think, boy, we need you so that our offerings will be better. And nor can you have prejudice against those who aren't successful and powerful. You see people as God sees people and you welcome them as God sees people. You call them to faith in Jesus and give them hope and when we respond, they become your brother or your sister. That's what you have to do. And if you don't do it, he uses the hardest, harshest words. He said, if you don't uh, welcome people as God welcomes people, then you are judges with evil thoughts. That's what he said. Now, I, I kind of put myself into James's shoes. And, and if we'd moved his people into the 21st century... I think what, what I anticipate him getting was emails coming from people saying, Pastor James... Why are you making such a big deal out of this thing of just welcoming people that other people don't usually welcome? I mean, that's not the worst thing in the world. After all, James, we're going through a hard time ourselves. His people were, you know. Why are you making a big deal out of something so small as that? Oh, we're not murdering anybody. We're not committing adultery, see? So what? If, if some people don't feel comfortable here, let them go to another church. People like to be with people just like themselves. Doesn't that kind of sound like 21st century? Doesn't it sound like us? We could say that. James says, absolutely not. You've missed the whole heart of God. He said, this whole thing that God calls us to is good and right. And really, he says, that you're going to break the royal law of God. Do you see? Where was that? Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know what he's talking about there? Um, James's brother was Jesus. And he's drawing, upon, he's drawing upon what Jesus said. Do you remember Jesus on several occasions was asked, uh, which is the greatest of all these commandments? And he would take, uh, under the Ten Commandments, there were two parts of the Ten the first half was how to love God. That's what that's all about. It starts with putting God first in our lives. And the second half, he says, is very similar to it. Flows out of it. It's loving your neighbor as yourself because your neighbor bears the image of God. Do you see that? So that if you don't love your neighbor who bears God's image, you're not keeping the royal law, the very heart of the law. You're not honoring God himself. You're not honoring the people made in his image. This is not a small thing, James is saying. He's just putting much more powerfully what I try to say all the time. That when you and I place our faith in Jesus, we give him our sins and he takes them. Hallelujah. But we also entrust by faith our lives to him. We follow Jesus. And allow his word, we're all in, allow what he teaches, what he commands to be what shapes our lives. We, we don't just pick and choose and say, well, this, this command, that's okay. Oh, but this part, no, nah, that, that's not me. No, 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 when we, when we follow Jesus, I no longer live for myself. 
I live for him who died for me and rose again. See, that's what it's, I am crucified with Christ, is what Paul said. Nevertheless, I know I, I live, but the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live for Him, and that means we don't sort of parse out and divide up. I like this part, I don't like that part. And James is saying the whole thing is our commitment. And, and, and a community made up of people who have given our lives to Jesus become committed to this word and to all that it teaches and say, say Lord, I know that whatever you ask me to do gives me freedom. You, Jesus did not give his life to ruin mine. So he says, if he said, I'm going to be committed to that. And when we come into a community, we are all committed to that and we help one another, we pray for one another, we support one another. Sometimes we correct one another. Do you see? A community of justice. Now God alone is completely right. God alone is completely right. But he brings us into his life and, and while we're into his family and while we're here and there's still unfinished work in our lives, he gives us one another. So a community of, of justice. A community of justice. What do I mean by that? It will be a community that confronts wrongs and evils whenever we see them. So that whenever we look out into our world and we see things that just dishonor God, we don't ignore them. We speak against them. We work against them. I, I learned this so much from one of our missionaries, Randy Nelson. You know, you've heard me tell you about this. He walked into a community. He saw a lot of uh, young girls and boys in the community who had actually been sold into that community for trafficking, for the trafficking industry. And, and Randy and Edie said, that's not right. That's not the way God created these children to live. And as a follower of Jesus, I've got to make a difference. If I'm going to be in this community, I've got to speak out and do something about that. And you know he has. And, and God's done an incredible uh, work uh, through him and, and Edie. And we must do the same. We look into our neighborhood and see things. When we see people hurting, uh, people treated unjustly, when we see people who can't, don't have a place to sleep, when we, when we see people who don't have uh, food to eat, we know that God didn't make people in his image. Uh, and we reach out, you see. So we, we do that. But the second piece of a community of justice is we look at our own lives and make a commitment personally to doing what is right and good as God has determined it in his word. And I tell you, it seems to me that's the point at which we in the 21st century don't want to deal with that part. We'll address social injustices out here. We won't let God shine the light of his word and his spirit into our own lives to say, this has to be recommitted to God. So a community that does this is that when we see things in our church or in our personal lives that are not right, we take them seriously. And I think when we do, what we become is a church that really cares for one another in the right way. Uh, in the way that we pray for one another, we'll encourage one another, and we'll hold one another accountable to walk with God. Any community where Jesus is the Lord who gave his life and bore our sin upon himself will be one that is committed to living according to the righteousness of God. That's what I mean by a community of justice. May we become that more and more. And second, it's not just that. Because you know a community of justice can just become oppressive, right? Uh, so, so that you come and you say, well, I've fallen short. And then it feels like there's no hope. So we also have to be a community of mercy. And I, I wrote my way of thinking about a community of mercy. I put it up here so you can see it. See if it makes any sense to you.
We are mercy-needing people who have found mercy offering mercy to other mercy-needing people. That's the kind of community we'll be. No, No pride, but hope. No pride, but hope. Hope for all. We're a mercy-needing people. We found it. If we found it, we have it to give it, and it's sufficient for other people as well. Now, James's way of putting it was much more powerful. <laughs> he said, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And then he adds, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I need to ask, what then is mercy? And mercy in James's language had two basic meanings are pretty much the same in our own language. Uh, one meaning of mercy is this, that it's, it's a kindness that flows out into act, specific acts of compassion for people who are hurting for whatever reason they are there. So, so the Bible talks about, and we talk about, ministries of mercy. That even if, if we see people who have gotten themselves into that mess, as we did, and God showed us mercy that we are ready to engage in acts of compassion and kindness. That's a part of the meaning of mercy. And the second is this. It has to do with relationship. It's a willingness, a desire to do almost anything that will establish a relationship with a person who's made in God's image. Or to restore it if it's broken. I sense that Pastor James had received news that many of the churches that were being formed as they had to flee Jerusalem were not being very merciful. That there were people hurting who were being ignored, people who were different who were not being welcomed. And he had to, he had to speak very, very hard words about this. I, I, I think in our day what we would have said to his people is, oh man, you're going through hard times. You've been run out of your home city of Jerusalem. So you know it's okay if you do a few things wrong. Yeah, if, if you don't welcome some other people in who are different from you, who can't help you out somehow, it's okay. Because you're a victim here, you know. Isn't that how we would think about things? And James says, no, no, no. You must show to those in the world the mercy and the heart of God. In fact, the way he puts it is, is, is about as sobering a terms as you can come up with. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. What does he mean? Well, again, I think he is just sort of putting in different words what his brother Jesus had talked about. In, in the Lord's Prayer, we have this part that says, Forgive us our sins as... We forgive those who sin against us. See, when you think about what Jesus is saying, is this. When you and I have received the forgiveness of God that was purchased by the death of Jesus on the cross, when we have received that forgiveness, then we'll know that we have received it when we're able to show it to others. And what Jesus goes on to indicate is this, is that if we have people that we cannot, will not, don't want to forgive... It's the surest evidence that we have not received God's forgiveness ourselves. Did I say that clear enough? That this just grips me when I think about this. And and, and so James takes it this way. If there is somebody that you just say, I'm not going to show any mercy to that person. 
It shows that you probably haven't really received the mercy of God. Do you realize what it took for God to bring you and me back into relationship with Himself? To show mercy is costly. It cost the death of Jesus on the cross, bearing our sins to make it possible for you and me to come into relationship with Him. I, I, wrote, I wrote in the worship folder uh, a little section of Micah 6.8, that great verse. God has shown you, He has shown you, O man, all people, what is good. What does the Lord require? Number one, to act with justice. Always do what is right. Number two, to love and our translation says, to love mercy. And, and the real word is to love entering into a lasting covenantal relationship with another person. How much does God love entering into relationship with us? Are you still with me here? How much does God love you? so that He could bring you and me back into a relationship where we can call Him Father. He, he loves us to the cross. He loves us to the cross. I, I'm sure that when James's words were read, you know, I, I think this, this letter was sent out to all of those different churches where people had been scattered. I think about how did they receive these words? I'm guessing some people were offended and left. I'm sure others were simply deeply convicted. I feel this when I read it. I mean, who among us, including me, who among us has never been unloving to a person? Has failed to show mercy to somebody who's in trouble? Who among us would ever even pretend that we haven't broken God's laws? Yet he says, if we break any one of them, we've all become lawbreakers and, and judgment's going to come against those who've broken laws. Mercy without judgment's going to be shown to me when I haven't shown mercy. It just feels so hopeless. Does that feel hopeless to you? That's why I don't want you to miss this today. That's why I wanted to stand behind the communion table. The last phrase, four powerful words. I'm going to put it up here so you can see it and not forget it. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, this is a maxim that he gave. Uh, it means that the way God built the world is that even though he is always going to be just and will judge sin, that if this maxim is true, that God is going to find a way that his mercy can triumph over the judgment that is necessary. I had so many people talk to me about this after the first service. They said, Pastor Craig, this is so hard. Because there are people who uh, don't even ask for my forgiveness and I'm supposed to show them mercy. And I said, is that the way God does this? No, we turn in repentance to Him and He welcomes us back. But His longing and the longing of the true follower of Jesus' heart is to get back into relationship with that one who has fallen short. That is what we love. Uh, Micah 6.8, strongest word in Hebrew, ahav, loves mercy. And uh, that's what God loves. How has he done it? it, it it's sort of the theme of the book of Romans, um, at least one of them.
is that God is just. God is holy. And he has declared that all that is wrong, all that is evil will be punished. So, you know, if in your family, if your kids do things that are wrong, you just sweep it under the rug and ignore it. You're not going to have a moral family, right? You know this. What is wrong? Evil has to be dealt with. And in our church, too, if we have things happen and we just sort of ignore it, sweep it under the rug, uh, we're not going to have a moral family, church family. But sometimes we fail at doing this, this judgment discipline thing right. So God says, I'm going to make sure that all evil is judged. Otherwise, it can't be a moral universe. So, so the question is, how can God be just and still turn to me and say, you're justified? How can he be who he is and turn to me and say, you're right with me? Because I've engaged in what's wrong. The wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. You know it. You know it. What happened? As the judgment of God against my sin came toward me. And, and the biblical word is propitiation. Yeah, I won't spell it for you. It is a great word. It, is a great, it means God turned it aside. The punishment was dealt against evil, but turned it aside and bore it himself. God took on human flesh, lived the life that I should have lived, but I haven't and you haven't either, and then died in my place and bore the punishment so that he is just. What is wrong has been dealt with. He is merciful. He offers me relationship to him through faith in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. Oh man, our, our time goes by so quickly. I have a lot more things I want to yell about. <laughs> Matt, Matt Barnes, I, I had breakfast with him this week and he said, Pastor Greg, what, what will our church actually look like if, if we could grow, become a community of justice and mercy? So I, I sent out the note to a lot of our pastors and said, send me some help. And only a couple wrote back. But Myra, you wrote me back. So... But mostly, I'll just tell you what I wrote down. If, if we grow to become what God would have us to be and promises we will be, I think our worship gatherings will be times where sometimes you walk in and you know that there are some things wrong in your life and you will, this word will be opened and you'll feel the conviction of God in your life and the celebration sometimes will have to turn to weeping. And, and, and I believe that more and more of us will, will want to find either a small group with people who can walk with us and pray with us. But I think more and more people will come to our prayer partners and, and pastors and say, I don't want that to stay in my life. And will you pray for me that God will set me free? Give me victory. I think that's going to happen here more and more. I think another thing that will happen if we grow in this is that you'll just really long, all of us will long to find a small enough group where we can trust one another and open up parts of our lives. We shouldn't open up all of our lives to everybody, but that small place where a person can then say, okay, I'm going to hold you accountable, but you'll have to hold him or her accountable for some areas too, right? And, and that in that small group, we're, we're going to be a community of justice. So we're not going to just leave a person trapped 
by something that keeps them from having the life God would have them to have. But we're not going to leave them hopeless either. We're going to be a community of mercy. Saying God never gives up on you. And I won't either. I think that will happen. I think we're going to have more times than we have before in church where we have to engage in church discipline. Sometimes there will be things that come out that become public and, and simply have to, cannot be ignored anymore. And I, I think we're going to have some brothers and sisters, maybe any one of us might be among them, who has, has to repent and comes, and then we have to engage in a process of discipline that leads to restoration. Galatians 6 2. To say that's not what God would have you to do. So we've got to set up a process, walk with us. And that person who one day will be here in front of us confessing sin, the next day is going to be up here fully restored as a full participant and servant of God. Uh, That's what should happen in the church. And we've had it happen a couple of times here over the last several years, haven't we? But rarely do you see this in our American churches. Do you know why? Because we're not committed both to justice and mercy. We must be committed to both. Calvin, Luther, Wesley all said this is the surest mark of a church that you take sin seriously so that when it comes out you deal with it but you take grace seriously too. You offer a pathway to full restoration. I think that's going to happen more and more often. I'll tell you when you see it. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? Uh, And I think, and Myra wrote me about this, I think that this message of James will become more and more true of us too. That people who don't feel welcomed in many places are going to come here and say, I I couldn't imagine. I saw that big church out there on that corner and I thought only a certain kind of person would ever go there and they're welcoming me. They're holding me accountable to live for God. (laughs) But I think we're going to see that happen. Reflamily will look more and more like the family of God. And the last thing I just jotted down, we're going to love to receive communion together. We're going to love to receive communion together. Why? Because when we receive communion, it's the place where God's justice and His mercy meet. We remember what it took for the punishment, the judgment I deserve for my sin to be paid for. The wages of sin is death. But we remember the one who paid the penalty in our place. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love it. I'll leave you with these verses and then we'll go to communion. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 22 to 24. It's Jesus. Jesus committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. But when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Praise the Lord. To his glory. Amen. Amen.